Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. My name is Chaplain Matthew Runnels. I'm with the 2nd Brigade, 225 Dragon Battalion. If you have been with us for the past few weeks, you will know we have been going through the book of Psalms. And I will be preaching about something that I am sure none of you have ever experienced before. And that is betrayal. I am sure none of you have ever been lied to. I am sure none of you have ever been let down. And I am sure that none of you have ever been betrayed. And if I believe that, then there would be no sense of preaching this message. I will tell you, being betrayed and being lied to is probably one of a few things that almost every single one of us can relate to, can we? No need to show of hands, but I can only imagine that if you have been betrayed, it cuts you deep, doesn't it? It's like when Donkey says to Shrek, that cuts me deep, Shrek, that cuts me deep. And if you get that reference, you must have kids. But you know, we can only be betrayed by people who we trust, people who we are supposed to trust, and people who we have loved. And sometimes we have been betrayed by such close people as our family. I know with being a chaplain for a number of years, but particularly being a youth minister for nearly 20 years, I'll tell you one of the heart most hardest things to counsel through is when a parent gets betrayed by their own children and vice versa. We will be going through Psalms 109, as you can see, and to curse or not to curse, that is the prayer. To be betrayed is probably one of the hardest things to work through, isn't it? Sometimes it literally takes decades to feel like you have worked through whatever forgiveness, whatever peace you need. And because of the weightiness of this, because of how personal this is to very many people, before we continue, please pray with me. Father God, You have provision this day to happen. And God, I pray that Your Word may be made new and alive to us this morning. That, Father, this message that You have laid upon my heart, let it be Yours. Let those who are before me are able to hear it. Let us grow with Your wisdom and understanding. And let us walk as You have called us to walk, which is in Your light and in Your Word so we may represent you well in all circumstances, knowing that you are a steadfast God. And in your Son's name do we pray, Amen. This is a song. Now as we read this, I almost challenge you, when you go home tonight with your family, or if you are a soldier, do this with your battle buddies, read this and try to develop a theme and rhythm to this song. 
Okay, we tried to do that at the, at the preaching team meeting, and it kind of sounded like a herd of dying animals. But I encourage you all to try to sing this to each other. But we will read the first five verses together. Again, this is in Psalms 109. I will be reading from the RSV. I encourage you to open up your Bible app or turn to that page. It's on page 645 of my Bible, but that probably will not help you. The first verse goes like this. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. Verse 3, they beset me with words of hate. And I turn from my love, they accursed me, even as I make prayer for them. In verse 5, so they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. The beginning of the prayer is asking God to not be silent. Perhaps you have had similar prayers to that, similar desires. God, let me hear your voice during this time and confirms God is the God of His praise. Notice that in verse 1. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. When we pray, do we pray with the acknowledgement God has heard us in the past. I hope that we do, because that should provide us confidence that God will hear us today. When we pray, do we pray indicating that there is a strong belief in who God is, and that we have a personal relationship with Him. Or else, why would we ever cry out to Him? Have you ever asked for help from somebody who probably cannot help you? If you have, did you ever get the help that you need? So do you ask that person again for help? I hope not. <laughs> You know, we had that saying, well, you know, when you make mistakes, you learn from your lesson. Only when you actually have learned. <laughs> right? Do we pray to God with the confidence that as He has heard us in the past, He will continue to do so today, especially in times where we feel betrayed? Because if we have been betrayed, if you look here in verse 2, strong words are used, wicked deceitful. Somebody cannot be betrayed without a lie. That's what makes being betrayed so hurtful, isn't it? There's a lie involved. There's a half-truth that is shared. And often, if you're like me, you're like, no, it didn't happen that way. I have to set the record straight. If you're like me, you become in this tug-of-war with trying to get things correct so that nobody is confused. You see here, we don't really know when this psalm was written, if it was before or after uh, David's um, adultery with Bathsheba. We don't know uh, if it was after he was made king 
of when he actually penned this. What we do know is that he prayed for these individuals and these individuals hate him. Look at verse 4. In return for my love, they accursed me even as I make prayer for them. They hate me. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I'll tell you, I experienced this. I worked at a, at a um, church for five years as the youth pastor. I was a deacon. I was a pastoral intern. You know, when you're single, the church just uses you for everything, right? And this was obviously before I met Dana, and I've been with this church for five years. It was a relatively uh, average-sized church, but we had a thriving youth ministry. We had anywhere between 20 to 30 kids. It was awesome. Half of the kids were from the church. The other half were from the city, just you know, friends were being invited. So we had a great ministry. We were out and about doing wonderful things. And at the tail end of my five years, the volunteer team that was built, two of some of my closest friends, one particular was very near and dear to me. She was a daughter, not a daughter, she was a sister in Christ, just a true, true sister. There was betrayal. And these leaders did not appreciate something that I had done. It was nothing moral or ethical. They just did not care for my leadership style, a, a choice that I made about a youth retreat of who could go and eventually they brought the elders involved and eventually I was put on probation and it was just crazy. Like I've been working with you for five years. Never has this ever happened. You've always been able to talk to me and you're left with a question and maybe you can relate to this. Why did this ever happen? And you feel so alone and you feel utterly just eaten up on the inside. You feel withered, if you will. And eventually I left that church and went to go work for Liberty University. Did good things there. And at the end I'll show you the I'll share with you the conclusion of that story. But we have come to our first point here, and the very first thing that the first five verses of this psalm forces us to do, it forces us to do two things. The very first thing is it forces us to self-reflect our heart and our intentions. We are often asked, we, we, you know, things happen in life. I don't know if you've noticed, things happen. Whether you plan for them or not, they just kind of happen, you know. And sometimes we ask, God, why, why did this happen? Or the, the devil's in the midst. I'm going I'm to give you all a perfect depiction of sometimes why things happen. It's a lion and a monkey. Everything happens for a reason. That is true. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes you do stupid things. And so we have to reflect as Christians 
who are called, just like the scripture reading, into a marvelous light, a, into an inheritance. Jesus' own words said, I came unto the, wor- uh, to the world so that you and I may no longer live in darkness. We have to self-reflect. Did what we just do was stupid? Was it careless? Was it reckless? Was it brashful? And we have to take ownership of what we did. Even in my situation with that church, I had to take ownership of what I did. So did what we do, as Forrest Gump once said, stupid things, I can't even remember what he does. I just Stupid is and stupid does. What did we just do? Was it prudent? Was it wise? James 1 literally says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of it, and you shall receive it. To go to the next slide here, the first thing that we have to do when we self-reflect, when we seem, when we believe that the world just seems utterly against us, we have to self-reflect. How are we living in this world? Are our intentions good? And it's even beyond our intentions because we can have the best intentions and yet be selfish, can't they? Sometimes I think our best intentions still give us hell. Both in relationships with people can give us hell. We have to be able to self-reflect, but the other thing we have to do is ask ourselves, did we try to assimilate too close to this world. Meaning this, have we tried so hard to fit in and then we're utterly surprised when all of our unchristian friends have done unchristian things like betray us and lie against us. You know, I've always been a big proponent that as a Christian, we need to be part of the world. We need to be fully invested in the community. We learn this constantly throughout the Bible. One of my favorite verses to, to, to meditate upon is found in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Go, build houses, plant gardens, but pray. Seek the community and pray for them. But have we lived as individual believers so closely to the world that there is no difference between us and them? Because isn't that the question that we sometimes ask? Why did this happen to me? Well, look. Who lied against you? And if it was a believer, if it was another believer or somebody to have professed it, that can hurt the most, can't it? And how do we work through that? Which is what we're about to get into very, very soon. But I will tell you, beloved, if you, whether you are a leader amongst our congregation, a spouse, a child, if we try to live with the praises from people, we will utterly die from their booze. Because our whole world is set that our identity is what the world sees us as. And unfortunately, the world has its own definition of what a Christian should look and act like, doesn't it? 
Jesus tells us we should be, you know, blessed are the meek and blessed are the mild, but the world has its own meme of what meek and mild Christians should look like, don't they? Well, you're a Christian, you should behave this way. Really? Are you a Christian? No. Well, how would you know? It's like when a soldier says, well, if I did it, if I was in charge, I would do it this way. Have you ever been in charge of anything? No. Are you in charge of your life? Well, no, not really. Well, what wisdom do you have? None. Have we assimilated too much to the world? First Peter chapter 4 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes upon you. Beloved, do you not know when we are persecuted for our faith, when we feel like we are left out, when we feel like when we come into a place, maybe this has happened to you, it happens to me sometimes as a chaplain, where a soldier will, will use profanity and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, chaplain. I'm like, you know what? Thank you. Because you know what that means? When somebody responds in that way, it means that you are living your life and light is so clearly seen from you that it naturally condemns the darkness that is around you. Let me break it down like this. If you profess to be a Christian, but nobody acts differently from you, how are you professing to be a Christ follower? Because what Jesus is saying, do not be surprised when persecution comes. Just recently, last week it was mentioned when Chaplain Brian preached that several missionaries were captured. I'll tell you, if they were not good missionaries, they probably were not, would never have been kidnapped. Light puts out the darkness, doesn't it? Matter of fact, the very concept of darkness is the absence of light. And just like the Scripture reading de uh, uh, declared to us this morning, we are into an inheritance of light. And when our faith is alive in this world, our identity is made sure that it is in Christ, not the praises of people. Because if we are constantly trying to get on favored terms of this world, we will not be living the life that we have been called and worthy to live for. I, you know, I was trying to find a really good example of somebody betrayed. And, you know, you have several people. David was betrayed. Even his future battle buddy, Mephibosheth. If you know who Mephibosheth is, you got five points to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Even he was betrayed. Countless stories, but I will tell you, the best depiction is Christ himself. When he rode into Jerusalem, what was the response of the city? Hosanna in the highest! la dee da everybody was praising his name because they thought they had a view of what a Savior would be like. And in less than a week, he died from their booze. Let me tell you, the first five verses here cause us to self-reflect. Our actions, what do we need to take ownership of, and have we assimilated too much to the world? Beloved, be comforted in this note. 
though you may not be, if you are currently going through this trial right now, if you come from a broken family when you found out that your spouse utterly betrayed you, when a lie is uncovered, it's tragically harmful, isn't it? But I will tell you this, when we cry out to God, God's mercy, as we have utterly proclaimed just a few minutes ago, is more than we could ever imagine in that moment. And that's why we're preaching this psalm, is to undergo what a good example is. This is a prayer. This is a prayer of deliverance, of God hearing Him, of restoration. But it's also a prayer of utter emotion. If you look at the verse, at, at our second point, is let the curses fly. If you, have your, if you have your Bible open, if you have your app open, look at verse 6 all the way to 20. This guy is no, hard, no bars hard. I mean, no punches withheld. This guy is black and white. Let's review. We're not going to read it all, but let's review the curses that the writer of this psalm, this prayer, is. Appoint, this is verse 6, appoint a wicked man against him. Let the accuser bring him to trial. Look at verse 8. May his days be few, be few. may another seize his goods. Look at verse 9. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Like what the world... Look at verse 11. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruit of his toil. Look at verse 12. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. I mean, this is just smacking this dude in the face. And listen to this. Again, we live in a culture that says, Christians, you really should not have any emotions except for be happy. What happens when you're not happy? What happens when you pray to God and you're literally sounding like this guy? God, that guy who betrayed me, who's lies, I want you to curse him. I want you to just... <clears throat> Haven't you ever felt that way before? Like, let's just be real. Yeah, I've, I, I've been very close to trying to curse people. I'm like, just kill them. Be done with them. They're so annoying. They're a thorn in my flesh. Don't you see what's happening, God? Get rid of these people. Look at verse 16. For he did not remember to show kindness... Be pursued, but pursue the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to their death. Verse 17, he loved to curse, let, let curses come on him. He did not like blessing, may it be far from him. He did not, he cursed people, he loved it, he wore cursing others as a garment. Let no one show kindness to him. Let the curses fly. Let's be really real, okay? When we pray, this is point number two. I think we have it up here. Go ahead, next one. 
Do we really truly consider what we say when we pray? Do we really consider our requests, our petitions? Again, remembering from the first few verses that God answers all prayers. may not be in our time, may not be with our expectation, but do we really truly consider what we say when we pray? It's almost like when people say GD. You know what I'm saying? When a soldier says that, when somebody says GD, I'm like, do you really know? Like, what, what would happen if, that, if God actually implemented that? Damn somebody. And I like to say as a chaplain, when soldiers say this, you know, God doesn't really need a damn. He can walk on water. Do we truly consider what we say when we pray? When we go to prayer, are we so vulnerable with God? Because he already knows our heart. See, I think we live in a world where when we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says this, right? Maybe some of y'all know this first. Cast your cares upon him for he, for you. Sometimes we only think that those cares are goals and dreams. Happy thoughts. Rather than the very torment of our soul. What is tormenting us as believers? And are we expressing that torment to Christ himself. Is that the status of our prayers? Because I tell you this, when we go through betrayal, though we want to utterly condemn every single person who has betrayed us, notice who, is, who this writer, David, is talking to. He's not asking for the power of himself to condemn these people. He's asking God to condemn him. Because I don't know if you're like me, but if I see injustice, let's go smite it. Let's go get it. And I forget this one verse, Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, therefore it's not revealed from me. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Do we pray for God's wrath? to come upon the wicked, the deceitful, because how they utterly portray God's people. Or, when we pray to God, is it just well-wishing? Our next point is this. We should never whine to God. We should never vent to God. We should complain. Now before somebody says, wait a minute, chaplain, there's a verse in Philippians that says do all things without grumbling or complaining. And we should. We should be very careful as Christians, which God has called us to be servant leaders in the community, in our units, in our families. We should do all things without complaining. But understand this difference. When we pray to God, when we are complaining to God, we are requesting a remedy. Who here has children or soldiers? Who here has ever heard either one of those groups whine? <laughs> Some of y'all got both hands and your feet up. 
What is the difference between whining and venting? Venting is nothing more than you just want somebody to listen to you. You don't want a remedy. You don't want a solution. You don't want any solve to your problem. I hear this all this time. Hey, I hope this counseling session has, has helped. What do you feel about? Oh, it's so great. It's so good to just get it out. You know, you're like, whoever that princess is on Frozen, you know, let it go. You're letting it go. Can't stand that movie. You're letting it go. You don't want a solution. You just want somebody to hear you. And then when that soldier says that, great, I've heard you, I've listened to you. Do you want a solution or are you just good? And a lot of times people say, I actually want a solution. I said, that's awesome because now we can actually start counseling. When you vent, you don't want a remedy. When you whine, your venting is just insignificant. And that might rub people the wrong way. To whine about something in, in, in the larger scheme of things, of the things that, ha that impact life and internal significance, whining is insignificant. That's why it's whine. That's why your voice pitches higher. <laughs> he stole it from me. Is it yours? No, well, then steal it then. It's insignificant. When we complain to God, we automatically acknowledge God has the ability to solve the problem. We automatically, as long as we are requesting the problem to be solved. That is point number two. We should be complainers to God. We should be coming to God with the things that we see. With the complete transparency and honesty and sometimes complaining about ourselves. God, I keep doing the wrong thing. I keep being snappy with my wife. I keep being uh, you know, not a team player at work. Whatever it is. I need You to restore me. I need... I need you to work in this realm. The list goes on and on and on about all the things that David wants to happen to these people because he's utterly real and transparent with his Redeemer. Look at verse 19 which I love this, I've, I've, I've said this before in prayers. Verse 19 goes like this, May it be like a garment which he wraps around him, like a belt with which he daily girds himself. In other words, let these people who have lied and betrayed against me fall into their own trap. That's the layman's translation of this. I pray that the Lord let what they are wishing against me come upon them. <laughs> Do it. Roast them, God. Roast them. But we come to the last point, which is this. The last point, point number three, is that God always leads us in paths of triumph so that we may later praise Him. 
That is a quote, a partial quote from 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It goes like this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Do we think as a Christian, if I thought for any minute that God is just going to lead me through these conflicts because they were going to be easy, I am an utter fool for what Christ is leading me through. Because it is through the valley of the shadow of death and the mountaintops that Christ leads me in. It is the fact that truth will always set you free. Nearly 50 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, that was the most quoted verse in the Bible. The truth shall set you free. About 20 years ago, the number one Bible verse was, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, people don't quote the Bible. But I will tell you this, beloved. You are so beloved by God that the truth will always come out. Always. We have this confirmation. The pattern in which we have in moments of utter betrayal by people who, who claim to be believers, but in a moment of weakness, they were not reflecting the fruits of the Spirit. And in moments where we were betrayed by people who hate religion, hate Christianity, the pattern of all that is this. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. How do we know that? We know that, again, in verse 3, they forsake, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 4, in return for my love, they accuse me, even as I make prayer for them, they hate me. And then if you look here, the fasting was so significant. If you look at verse 23, I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt. This individual, David, went through his time of praying and fasting to a point where he was just physically weak. The first example of how to react in this way is to continually be beacons of light through praying and fasting, even if it's our enemies. For isn't that what Christ told us to do? Love your enemies. Completely counterintuitive than any other religion. No other religion declares that. <clears throat> but look at verse 21. But you, O oh God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. David was a shepherd. The man as a boy killed Goliath with a pebble. Do you not think he was a warrior? If he could have killed, chopped off Goliath's head, do you think he could have taken care of whoever was speaking out against him? Absolutely he could have. The man was a warrior. He was a king of a nation. 
The guy knew how to fight. He knew how to defend himself. But when he knew he was innocent, he was not the one doing the fighting. He let God handle it. And that is the hardest thing to do. You really want a good test of whether or not you have the confidence of God? Let go of controlling a situation of betrayal and deceit and let God have full sovereignty over it. Deliver me, O Lord, for Your name's sake. At what point in the history of salvation did God ever forget His people? Beloved, this is why we can have such great confidence today that we have the assurance of every single promise that God has ever made with His people. That He always has a remnant. He always has the protection over His people no matter what the storm. And the truth will always come out. He can say that. He can say, deliver me, O Lord, for Your name's sake. Because as David, who fled from, the will, who fled from King Saul, received provision in the desert, in times of great battles, he saw the handiwork, the provision of God. We may never know fully why God acts, but we do know this, God is there, especially in the midst of this. And how glorious and how... It's a marvelous mystery. And as we just proclaimed, only a holy God only a holy God who has created all this abundance and yet knows your very trouble and will deliver you in that moment. I want you to look at verse 26. It's the second plea for help. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. It's not according to what I think should happen. It's not according to what I hope to happen. Your steadfast love, according to it, he continues to say, hey, though, these cursing people, these people who betrayed me, let them know that this is your hand. You, O oh Lord, has done it. I want you to fall back on verse 30. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng, the conflict. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who condemn him to death. This is our God who stands at your right hand. Jesus says, I will not cast out any broken reed or any candle that's almost shut out. You know, when you have fully given a situation like this to God, when you have the peace that surpasses all understanding reside in you. Back to my story earlier this morning and part of our closure. For days, I lamented the complete utter betrayal of the leadership of that church. My close friends. 
I asked all those questions. Why, God, haven't you seen I've been faithful? Haven't they seen me to be faithful? At no time has my leadership ever been questioned. Why now? What? And at times I was angry. God, how could you? And as time passed, you know, time doesn't heal all wounds. You don't need time, you just need God in the midst of it. I continued to pray, continued to pray. And eventually things got settled. And I, even though I did not go to the sister in Christ who betrayed me in my heart, I knew I'd forgiven her. We continued for several months to do ministry together. You know, sometimes as faithful believers, even though we have seen God's faithfulness in the past, we live with the assumption that bad things are bound to happen in the future. And we're stuck with, why bother? Pray about it. Nothing good can come out of this. Have you ever thought about praying like that or thinking like that? What good could ever come from this? A few weeks after that whole drama at the church, that same sister in Christ came to me in tears. Say, Matt, I don't know why you did, but I know you forgave me. What happened is not what I thought was going to happen. I did not want that to happen. But I'm so thankful you forgave me. She knew I had forgiven her, even though I did not tell her. Fast forward it several years. Again, I, I, let, I, I left that chapel, that, that church, my internship had lapsed and they did not want to hire me for a full-on uh, church leader, which was fine. Went to Liberty University where I was able to meet my beloved wife, where we have two kids today. Three years after that event at that church, that same sister in Christ, her and her oldest son flew to Fort Carson, Colorado, when Eleanor Brin was born, simply to serve us. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you don't think God can redeem all situations, we have a small understanding of who God is. And if God can redeem the death of His Son for the salvation of many, He can redeem your betrayal. If God can redeem the betrayal of His own disciples lying against His Son, He can redeem the people in your life who speak out against you. But beloved, if we try to redeem it, we will utterly fail. Let's pray. Father God, again, I pray for our congregation. I pray for us as a chapel, as Christians, as believers, that we may always represent You well in all circumstances. And as we come before you with maybe troubled hearts or hearts filled of praise, no matter our situation, let us praise you still. God, reveal to us your faithfulness. God, give us as your beloved continued confidence in your steadfastness that you stand at the right hand of the needy and let us be needy people. Let us be willing to be needy knowing that we are not a burden to You. God, I pray 
that as we go through this life that we represent you well, but not only that, be as a church, the city that's planted on top of the hill. Let us continue to serve faithfully to you as you have been faithful to us. In your son's name do we pray. Amen.